There's no reason now not to plug my Switch into my TV unless I want to be simultaneously watching TV and playing video games, which I used to think was fun, but now I just find exhausting. But I worry that if I blow a game up like The Witcher 3 that I have on the Switch, which I'm fine playing on a small screen, but I'm worried if I blow it up to like my 55-inch TV resolution, it's going to look like butt because it is not like the best version of the game graphically. And because we're having an earnest conversation about the graphical capacity of the Nintendo Switch, that must mean you're listening to the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, this is Nick. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to a show where we watch a show and talk about the show, and we try to figure out why we're watching the show and why other people watch the show. We never really get around to figuring out why we watch the show, but sometimes we we have a little discussion about it. I don't think today's is going to be good. This episode was bad, I thought, Kyle. What did you think? Tell me your thoughts, then we'll get into the summary. I... Spoiler alert, I think Raj has a very attractive sister. That's basically it. She's a babe, which I will get into just a little bit in my notes. I don't know if you had any specifics, um, but... (laughs) Nope, that was it. All right. Well, how about this? I am 99% confident that this was just a filler episode. And so I'm as, gonna... oh, yeah. as opposed to all the other episodes of the Big Bang Theory, which are so arc heavy. Well, I mean, not necessarily arc heavy, but like I, I my my thought on this was was with most other episodes, they don't have arcs, but they do have bigger questions and themes. You know, so for the whole first two seasons, we're looking at the status of Leonard and Penny's will-they-won't-they relationship. And so they're episodes that serve that larger ephemeral arc, and then there are the more specific episodes that are like, oh, can you believe the fucking Xbox? Woo, wugga, wugga, wugga. Yeah, this is definitely closer to the latter. I see what you mean. Yeah, and because this episode, I thought quite conspicuously, is completely devoid. Not half a second on screen and barely a mention of Penny, Amy, or Bernadette. Uh, they're all they're all just gone. And so I think the purpose there is that this episode could be inserted literally in between any other two episodes anywhere in this season and would fit perfectly fine. So I don't know. That's fair. You know, I didn't notice until you mentioned it, but yeah, Penny is not in this episode, is she? At all? No, not at all. I think Priya, as a matter of fact, is the only female character whoever appears which i'm saying that like oh my god can you believe how few female characters are on this show but i mean normally there is just penny so it's not like my outrage machine should start running now Uh, but yeah um no there is no penny or the other two just just the main nerds and and this priya who since we've brought her up i guess let me get into my super short summary this time around which is episode begins with the nerds hanging out and Raj is like, Hey, my sister's coming in to visit LA. Oh, can you believe it? It's crazy. And everyone's like, Oh, your sister, the one that we've all made various promises not to try to make out with. And that's really about it. And then sister does show up. She does turn out to be quite attractive. And Raj is like, Hey, remember we all talked about it. Nobody fuck my sister. And specifically, Raj, uh, sorry, not Raj, um, Howard and Leonard 
made a pact because apparently they love making packs about women they're never going to sleep with. And this one was, neither of us is ever going to try to hit on Priya. And I, I guess they even pinky swore on it, which is very important detail. So Priya shows up. Everyone's like, hey, Priya, how's it going? We're definitely going to try to not put our pinkies or thumbs in your butt. No promise on the other three fingers, but at least those two. And uh, then... Priya's like, all right, I have to go use the bathroom. Leonard says, oh, I'll walk you there. They get into the hallway and they make out hard. Boom. Episode begins. Entire rest of episode is Leonard and Priya trying to sneak around, making out without any of the other nerds getting wise. But oh no, Sheldon does get wise. Ah, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to tell Raj about it. And then Raj and the other three nerds are all going to have a lunch table confrontation. Kyle. I can hear you typing. Oh my god, what are you doing? <laughs> Sorry, I was just uh I've I'm I have no excuse. I was go- I was going to pretend like I was googling something related to the show, but to be honest, I just wondered about Battletech. Did you ever oh, Battletech? Jesus Christ? Oh no. No. <laughs> of all the- you you lost a- me you lost me there for a second. In an episode that is loosely focused on betrayal. Oh, I, th- I I was about to be real upset with you for being so obviously uninterested in the episode. But that the reason you were so uninterested in the episode was because you're like, I don't know, I just gotta know what's going on with the battle tech. Totally redeems you. Oh, oh I'm go- I, that was a real roller coaster of emotions. No new edition out, it turns out. Oh, that's a bummer. Well, anyway... You, no more typing. I can oh. hear it. You, you, all right? That's strike one. <laughs> okay. So when Kyle isn't busy looking at Battletech, where was I? Leonard and Priya make out. They try to not let anyone else know. Sheldon does find out. All the nerds get in a confrontation about all the other times they've betrayed each other. And that is really about it. I mean, near the ending, there's some little details, I guess, where there's one part in the episode where after Leonard and Priya sleep together, Leonard's like, hey, I should move to New... Oh, because I don't think I mentioned Priya is visiting from India. She still lives in India. And so Leonard is like, oh, I can move to New Delhi and we can be together. And Priya's like, I just like to fuck. I want nothing to do with what you're selling. Uh, and so later on during the big nerd confrontation, Leonard does say to Raj, because Raj gets very upset and Leonard is like, hey, if it makes any difference, she did stomp all over my, my heart. And Raj is like, oh, actually, that is a huge help. I forgive you. And then Leonard and Howard are like, oh, we also had some sort of betrayal about this pact, but I guess we're over it because that's what friendship means. End episode. <laughs> Done. Kyle, any plot elements that you would like to add or discuss before we start being nitpicking little weirdos well this episode does pull what i i I don't know what the name for the i feel like it's uh i don't know if retcon is quite the right word but it does one of those like insert things where it's like it's not like when they hook up in the hallway it's the first time basically we are led to believe that leonard and priya i mean not consider not like regularly because she doesn't seem to come to visit I, that often. I know exactly what you're getting at here, Kyle. Every, Sorry, basically, for like the last five years, I think is the time, they give you like four or five years, but like every single time she has come to visit Raj, she has been hooking up with Leonard and they're just like, that's just, I felt like that was a pretty startling revelation for his character, to be honest. No, 100% uh, <laughs> agree. Uh, because I think that the first 
issue I took with it was not even before. I mean, before they do even clearly establish that uh, Leonard and Priya have had some sort of ongoing thing, which yes, is big crazy character development. When um, during the the intro, when oh by the way, I didn't mention this is season four, episode five. The Irish pub formulation, which is a reference to Sheldon when he realizes that uh, Leonard is going to try to hold him to keeping the secret of his tryst with Priya, uh, Sheldon, and to try to uphold his end of the secret bargain, concocts a convoluted alibi wherein Leonard, uh, rather than getting busted for sleeping with Priya, instead uh, has a story about having hooked up with a promiscuous red-headed bartender at Pasadena's favorite Irish watering hole. But with that big distraction out of the way, when Leonard first walks Priya to the bathroom, Priya grabs Leonard by the face and gives him a smooch. In that initial kiss, I found totally believable, not because it's something that I would have expected Priya to do, but I'm like, oh, okay. Apparently Priya's a massive horn dog. What are you going to do? That's what the episode's going to be about, is Leonard yeah. trying to deal with that. But, no, Leonard instead looks towards either end of the hallway and is like, okay, no one's coming, let's, let's keep going at it. Which I thought was very suspicious and how Leonard, rather than absolutely losing his shit that a woman is interested in, does immediately go into, like, high alert subterfuge mode because he's like oh we have to keep our secret and the rest of the episode as you mentioned goes under the weird assumption that this has been a thing they've been up to for years and i, I guess leonard in spite of everything else we've learned about his character up to this point <laughs> is capable of having like a casual fuck buddy relationship yes exactly i mean he ruins it in the episode but but prior to that I mean, it's just, it's one of those things, obviously, that you're not supposed to do this because the show doesn't really work this way. But you you have to imagine in all those other conversations where he's being sad because he doesn't have a girlfriend or he hasn't gotten laid in a while. He's secretly thinking to himself, of course, except for, you know, the last time Raja's sister visited and we, like, you know, did it in the back of the science laboratory. But I can't mention that to any of these guys because that's my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's bizarre. And I think maybe this is one of those episodes where we do have to do a little deep digging if we want to stay true to the theme of our own podcast, where we've learned something new about Leonard, something that now it's been established in the series, uh, leads us to believe that he has for years, in fact, been having a casual hookup relationship with a very attractive person who happens to be one of his best friend's sister. And how does this color every other interaction that Leonard has had? Well, really, I was going to say not just with women and not just with Penny, but like, yeah, his whole, what is his whole deal <laughs> about being the, the hapless virgin, the, the always looked down upon and cast aside because he's, He's just too goofy and nerdy. Like his whole thing is blown up in this episode. Yeah, that was my thought. I don't have a I don't have a quick and easy retcon, but I definitely noticed that. So so is his gimmick then, as we've come to know it up until this episode, is this a game? This is Leonard, is this his weird 
reverse psychology Casanova scheme where he disarms women by coming off is such a, a, a goofball? Or is it that Leonard does, in fact, have a certain innate attractiveness that he's not been taking advantage of and continues to genuinely believe that he cannot have a relationship with a woman because he's such an oddball, while, in fact, there is you know, very hard contrary evidence. I think I have the answer, but you're not going to like it. I want to hear it regardless. I think the only conceivable answer is that Leonard is incredibly racist. Oh, no, please, please, please tell me more about this. Well, because Leonard's whole relationship with Penny is colored by the fact that he basically thinks she's too good for him, right? And I don't mean good in any kind of moral sense. Oh, no, I see where you're going. But he gets weird around her because he feels like she is remarkably out of his league, and it makes him incredibly uncomfortable. And yet, for some reason, his his laissez-faire attitude towards Priya seems to imply that he does not consider her out of his league, despite the fact that she is every bit as attractive as any of the other really attractive women on this show. And the only reason I can think of why Leonard wouldn't think of Priya as attractive as Penny is if he is, in fact, racist. Okay. Kyle, first of all, I think you're right. Because what other explanation could there be for Leonard not being so intimidated or overwhelmed or whatever other emotion he may feel that would make him repelled by or afraid of Priya. Because that is how he acts around almost literally any other woman. Why is Priya the exception? Or being able to keep it a secret. I mean, the whole thing is That is nuts. (laughs) The fact that he... Every other time we see Leonard get laid, he basically, like, throws a little parade for himself. And I do understand that it's Raj's sister and he's ashamed about it. But I think his shame goes even deeper than just the fact that uh, he's betrayed his friend. I think he feels he feels like he's dirty somehow. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, so that's my that's my whole dark theory about uh, Leonard and Priya. Yeah. Well, so, uh, speaking of speaking of as long as we're talking about deep lore, I actually thought there was another bit of deep lore that we've established that this episode backs up because once again we find out that Sheldon has secretly been putting shit in Leonard's food. Okay, I did really like that part of this episode, but I am not remembering when this came up previously. So please go ahead. There was that whole episode where uh it was impl- I can't I can't even remember. But it was like one of our first God, if you can't stick no wonder our show has no connectivity because we both lose the memes. But do you remember we did a whole episode about how it seems like Sheldon is a little too excited that Leonard maybe almost accidentally drank his urine? Oh, yeah, how could I forget? Yes. This seems like in that same, and you concocted a whole thing, like, maybe that's really, like, a thing. Maybe that's, like, his his secret power dynamic. He's mm-hmm. keeps trying to make Leonard drink his piss. Yeah, um, I think that's when our show really started to come into its own. <laughs> yes, that was, I, that was a defining moment for us. And this is not quite that bad, but we definitely find out that Sheldon has been slowly putting bugs in Leonard's food for no other, for no, literally no, he says it's for scientific reasons, but I defy you to find a well, real scientific explanation. The reason that he's doing it, he he establishes, is that, I can't remember, it's, it's either Roger Howard is the one who brings it up when they're having their, their four-way betrayal confrontation. And so one of them says, oh, well, you know, uh, Sheldon betrayed Leonard 
by putting all those different bugs in his food. And Leonard's like, what are you, why, why would you do that? What, what? And so Sheldon says, I, I don't think it's bugs. I, he does clarify specifically moths. moths. Yes. Because his experiment that he's doing is he wants to know at what point does food specifically start to taste mothy. <laughs> Um, and apparently you never reached that point, so that's... Which is, like, something the Unabomber would say, but... Yeah, yeah. You know the Unabomber is from Montana? Oh, sorry, I bring that up because I'm living in Montana, and I am from Montana, so... Yeah, you and Ted Kaczynski have a lot in common at the end of the day. I think, uh, also the stinger for the episode is he makes Leonard drink a milkshake, he's like, this is pretty good, what's in it? And he's like, oh, you know, a hint of... I can't remember what the main ingredient was, but he was like, and also Caterpillar. Yes, yeah. He's like, oh, no, no, you you got it half right. It's not just mango or whatever. It is mango caterpillar. Leonard spits the shake everywhere. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah, this was a bad episode, wasn't it? I wasn't on board with your original analysis, but now that I'm thinking about it, this was not a very good episode. No, I mean, it's not like a terrible episode. It's not like it didn't have things in it that made me angry. It's just filler, you know? There's, there's nothing special about it. I, I assume you liked uh, Sheldon playing old school text RPG games on his computer, though. Okay, I'm glad you brought it up because okay. I consciously did not make a note of that because I was like, no one wants to hear about how I was excited that Sheldon is playing old text games. <laughs> you were, uh, well, you were wrong. I want to hear about it. Let it go. Let it let it rip. I mean, I just said it already. Is like I was excited that Sheldon was playing. I, okay, so I, I, I had a couple different feelings. One is that Sheldon playing those games, it's frustrating because that in and of itself is the joke for the scene. That is it's, true. He's just like, hey, I found a bunch of old text games and now I'm going to play them. And there's like an audience laugh. Yeah, laughter, laughter, laughter. Like, and uh, I don't know. So... Kyle, you're younger than I am, but I, you're obviously young enough to know what Sheldon was doing. Yeah, younger, I, sexier, smarter, the whole package. I, I wish I could argue with you, but I mean, this is I just have to live knowing these truths. <laughs> um, but so Sheldon, um, I, I, so I think I grew up just a little too young for text adventures myself, where I was aware of them when I was a little kid. But I was like, why aren't there pictures? Why? What's Mario not doing here? This is nuts. Um, and so people who are completely unaware, because I am assuming that younger people are listening to this episode, before video games as we know them today, people played text adventures where you had a black screen and words would appear and it would say, oh, hey, you've come to a crossroads. You can go in any one of four directions. And then you would type one of those four directions, and it would describe the next scene, and so on and so on. And a very common feature of these games was that you would be presented with a limited number of interactable objects in this world, and a limited inventory. And when you got to a new puzzle, very often the solution would be incredibly opaque, and you would just have to randomly combine uh, the items in your inventory with the objects uh, presented by the scenario in hopes that there was some sort of confounding combination that uh, would get you through to the, the next puzzle. And so uh, Sheldon, in playing this text adventure, is engaging in that process where when presented with the, the various cardinal directions he has at his, uh, uh, has at his reach, 
he will say, go north, and it'll say, you can't go north. And it'll say, okay, go west, and it'll say, you can't go west. And it'll say, go east, and it'll say, oh, you went east and you found another path. And the audience eats it up. They're like, oh, just the very way this game is played and how archaic it is, is in itself a joke to me. I don't need to have my expectations defied in an interesting way. I don't need to be shocked with information coming at me that was so irrelevant or absurd or otherwise surprising that it put me in a a state of surprise. And Kyle, you better be looking at Battletech again, you son of a bitch. I had a thought. I'm sorry. I'm going to tie this into the end of the episode. I just had to look something up. I, All right. I'm trusting you on this one. Ooh, ooh. Also, I was getting very boring. Sheldon's playing an old game, and people are like, isn't it fucking hilarious that he's playing an old game? And I got defensive because I was like, I would play that old game. I'm mad. I'm mad that all the people watching the show would have laughed at me. Uh. Yes, I mean... Yeah, I, so I never played, like, the the one that I've heard of, the, the most famous of these is Zork, which I have yes. never, I've not, I've not played five seconds of. I'm sure because it was probably, it's probably, you could play it on, like, a graphing calculator today, but um, it's just, I've never played. I've played, like, The Secret of Monkey Island, which is sort of like a spiritual successor to those type of games, because they have a real graphical interface, obviously, but it's still the sort of, like, you find random items and you have to figure out incredibly obtuse ways to combine those items to do to get past the obstacles that are laid in your path. Yes. So, I feel... And I liked it. I enjoyed his... Like, I was like I was put off that it was a joke, but I, I really felt a visceral joy with Sheldon that he was enjoying his game. It was like, good for you, Sheldon. I, I find that with this bit out of the way, we are at a crossroads ourselves. And I think either... We can, either of us, get a little bit more nitpicky and go through the last of the bits of garbage that are in this episode for things that happen to catch our interest. Or we can look at this episode as being a real down point, move on to our nerd thing of the week, and prepare ourselves to try again better in two weeks. Yeah, I think we should do the latter. I wanted to say this has nothing to do – so I, this is sort of a, a more broad thought than we usually have. But it was sort of related to the the Zork thing that you brought up, meaning I, I don't know when would be an appropriate time to – sorry, I'm rambling. Long story short, I watched a documentary on Galaxy Quest last night. That's what I was looking up. I was looking up Wait. when the movie Galaxy Quest came out. Galaxy uh, Quest, the comedy film? Yes, they made oh. a document. They made a documentary about it, and the hook of the documentary was basically like, "Isn't it ironic that the movie Galaxy Quest is about incredibly obsessive fans who love something unironically?" And Galaxy Quest has, since it came out, become the type of movie where people dress up and do Galaxy Quest cosplay and love the movie unironically and find it very meaningful. Isn't that just kind of cool? And it was. It was a cute little documentary. This is not my nerd thing of the week. I'm bringing this up because one of the things that uh, I think it was like because they had several. I think Damon Lindelhoff was one of the was the person who said this, who they were interviewing. He was like, "You have to understand, like it basically argued that Galaxy Quest represents a turning point in popular culture, which was like the first stirrings of nerds going from losers to like the cool kids. Because in that movie, the nerds are very much portrayed like the characters on The Big Bang Theory." They're incredibly socially awkward and obsessive and sort of 
it looks like they're going to be the butt of all the jokes at the beginning of the movie, but then it turns out with their incredibly hyper-specialized knowledge about the fake ship in the movie, they're able to save the day. I forget, because it is basically the case now, that up until very recently, it, was, it wasn't it was just like a little uncool to be a nerd. It was incredibly uncool to be a nerd, like mm-hmm. to the point where you were socially ostracized. And I think what is often weird about watching The Big Bang Theory is from my perspective, like none of the, not only is the stuff that Sheldon gets laughs for not, it's not like a joke. It's like, I don't, I f- forget why it would have been funny at the time. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. If it I, was ever funny. Well, I absolutely understand why the audience is laughing at Sheldon playing this text adventure game. It's frustrating because there is no joke. There is no setup or punchline or twist or anything like that. It's just, oh my God, can you believe that an adult would spend his time playing this old game? And... The the weird thing, though, watching it now is that you're right, is that I guess at the time, what I guess this is would have been like 10 years ago or 15 years ago or whatever, it was still hilarious that adults would have interests in archaic nerd culture. But that has absolutely become the mainstream now. I wonder if... I feel like you could get almost the same laugh, though, if this episode were to be played today. I think there are still enough people who haven't signed on to, you know, the comic book movies. And I mean, I was going to say other nerd shit. That's really what it is, is comic book movies are big and there are a handful of very widely played video games. Like, you know, Fortnite, I don't think is like real legit nerd shit, but it is something that has crossed that bridge between... 100% mainstream, everyone knows and accepts and thinks this is totally okay culture, and old, goofy nerds playing video games. Yeah, I guess so. Like, you might be right. I'm just not, I'm just not sure. I mean, in a, well, I guess I don't know the difference between that and just like, is there some percentage of the audience who will always laugh because they know this is the part where you're in the story where you're supposed to laugh? Like, that's always the other part. It's just hard to sort those two things out because if there is actually a cultural context that makes these things funny and it's not just reflexive, I feel like since then we've had things like, you know, Bandersnatch on Netflix, which basically explained this whole concept that people used to find this stuff really cool in a way that wasn't funny. Yeah. Um, Boy, did I hate that, though. Oh. Yeah, that was a shit. Yeah. We don't have to get into it. but Yeah. Uh, well, you know what? I feel like we've spent enough time kind of because the only other thing i was think i was going to think about asking that wouldn't just be a super nitpicky thing in the episode is like hey what's the big deal if someone fucks your sister and i don't oh, know yeah we, i didn't mean to bring that i i was that's fine we don't you're right but yeah we don't need to have that whole conversation so how about this this episode sucked we didn't like it it made us think of bigger nerd issues so hey that's a bonus we got some value of it but let's just talk about our nerd thing and get on with our lives sound great I actually have something this week, but that, uh, you can well, go you're, first you're, if you want. If you have something, you're going first. It's your turn. Very good. So, it's going to be a little long and rambling. I'm sorry. It doesn't have uh, to be. I'm pretty sure you can make it otherwise. <laughs> no, I don't know how to do that. I'm sorry. So, I am here this week to talk about one of the 
greatest, most epic, uh, longest-running science fiction franchises of all time. They've recently re-established an interest in and grown a newfound appreciation for. I am talking, of course, about the Transformers. Like the, like to... the, the 80s TV show? or Well, so for most people, in the Transformers is either you know, a nostalgic 80s TV show or a never-ending toy line or a series of almost exclusively bad movies with, like, one recent exception. I recently saw Bumblebee, by the way. We don't have to talk about it now, but it was pretty good. I I will talk about Bumblebee whenever you want. I had feelings about Bumblebee, but go ahead. um, But what probably... Well, I don't know who our audience is. Uh, What people like me think of think of when we think of Transformers is its incredibly long and uh, surprisingly high-quality comic book run. Uh-huh. Transformers was originally one of the first licensed comics put out by Marvel in the 80s alongside G.I. Joe. Um, they produced both comics for both Hasbro products, and uh, it was uh, it was extremely popular at the time, and it was it was both popular in the United States, and it had a whole separate comic line that was printed in Britain that was even more popular, um, at least among like the British audience who could get it. And so eventually, Marvel lost the or just let the rights lapse to Transformers, and it sort of languished for a while, and it was traded around between a couple of different companies before eventually being acquired by a group called IDW. IDW publishes. Oh, I'm so glad you just said IDW. I had I had two out of three letters right, and the closest I could come was IDF. Yeah, no, I think it's IDW. I have no idea what that stands for, but. Um, IDW in 2005, I think, around the time, uh, I guess, that this show started, come to think of it, not the podcast, The Big Bang Theory, acquired the rights to the Transformers franchise and hired on a lot of the same people who had written the comic back in the day to do a whole sort of reimagining of the Transformers. And it is just shocking how good it is. It still works... What am I trying to – basically, here's, here's I think what's magical about it is in all of the different Transformers stories, it's always established in the background that like the action that you see on screen is just like the tip of some huge epic interstellar war. The Transformers are actually aliens. The Decepticons and the Autobots have their own planet where they've been fighting for God knows how long. You know, and there are video games and all sorts of other things that sort of hint at this conflict and tease the edges of it. But you don't ever get a chance to see the scale of it because it's just that would be very expensive for most mediums. But comic books being what they are, uh, in the IDW continuity, they start off in media res. So they do do all like they tell the story you would expect about the Transformers coming to Earth and interacting with humanity. But they also do this incredible thing where they pull back and they show you this huge, like intergalactic war between like the Decepticons and the Autobots that takes place over like hundreds of planets and has, you know, been going on for four million years and, you know, has this incredibly deep backstory and everything. So that's all wonderful and kind of cool on its own. But then it does something even more interesting. And this is where my recommendation is going to get more specific. So it's not just like, hey, check out this incredibly long comic book run. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Because they were constant. It's not even one run. It's written by a lot of the same people, but it's like it's seven or eight. They reboot the comic a lot, so it's seven or eight interconnected storylines. But I think around 2015, after they'd already been writing the comic for ten years, they did sort of a an incredible thing, which is they basically ended the war. They said the war is now over. We're still telling Transformers stories, but these Transformers stories all take place in the aftermath of of the war between the Autobots and the Decepticons, and we are now going to focus on these characters basically trying to reconcile themselves to everything that has happened in the last four million years. So what you get is you get this just really fascinating look at this race that feels simultaneously very alien because they're robots. Like they're just obviously robots with their own weird, you know, robot culture. Mm -hmm. Um, But then they also have these, you know, incredibly human quirks and emotions. And, and it's just them. I mean, it's not like super philosophical. It's still basically like an action adventure comic, but it's an action adventure comic where everyone has like incredible, like the entire species basically has PTSD and, you know, they're going forward trying to be better people, trying to reinvent themselves with the knowledge that they almost drove their entire race to extinction because they couldn't like get over this ideological divide and that the rest of the galaxy views them with hatred and contempt Oh, um, because, you know, to them, they're just those crazy robots who like, you know, broke the fucking universe because you know, they couldn't get over what was essentially a big race war. And so it's just really, it's just, it's incredibly, it's mostly in the writing. Um, the one that I would recommend, although it does, it jumps, like it, it totally takes place in the middle of this huge, big, epic thing that I've just described, but it's a fairly self-contained story um, in the sense that it has a recurring cast of characters. It's called more than meets the eye. They had two comics. There was Transformers Robots in Disguise, which was set on Cybertron, which is the Transformers home world. I haven't gone back through that one yet. The one I'm reading right now, which is really good, is called Transformers More Than Meets the Eye. So Robots in Disguise and More Than Meets the Eye. You can see where those names come from. So in More Than Meets the Eye is about a small crew of Cybertronians who go on basically a quest to discover their own origins because that's sort of one of the weird mysteries in the universe. It's like, hey... Have you ever noticed that we're all talking cars that can turn into robots who, who, but, and we're functionally immortal, but we don't know how we got this way? So they go off on a ship, like trying to chase down the original, like, gen, like the, the progenitor transformers who are spoken of only in myths and legends. So it's sort of like, you know, a Battlestar Galactica or a Firefly type adventure where they're just roaming the galaxy, you know, a small crew of, plucky robots but yeah in between it's like you know they're constantly like so what did you do back during the war it's like oh i made bombs that blew up planets do you feel bad about that oh it constantly haunts me (laughs) (laughs) and it's just it's really like you know it's just funny to watch these characters who like their origin is that they were these two-dimensional cartoon characters designed to sell toys become these incredibly nuanced beings that you can really sort of like emotionally connect with and sort of like respect the entire arc that they're going through and just how much it really feels like in that sense like a science like a real science fiction story because it really is just about these like demi-alien robots just trying to understand both themselves and like their own history and their own existence 
while also being like a you know a pretty fun you know every now and then they you know the the one who's basically a samurai you know uses his sword to cut shit so that's it to be specific the idw and the whole thing is ended now they recently rebooted the continuity again you know just because they i think they told all the stories they wanted mm-hmm. but there's this incredibly long running id set of idw comics between like 2005 and 2018 you can read it. they're all pretty good uh but i am currently reading uh transformers uh more than meets the eye and it, i would h- highly recommend it to anyone who has even a passing interest in these robotic dudes all right well thank you for the quite thorough explanation of the history of the transformers comic book series as well as where it ends up and a solid recommendation i have two i I have a real recommendation and i have an anti-recommendation this week and i'm going to try to keep both very short because the first, the actual recommendation, I'm double dipping again on the other podcast I've been doing with my friends Charlie and Solvay, the Final Girl Sleepover. We watched the film November, which is an independent Estonian film that came out a few years ago. And basically, it has to do with a very impoverished village. I believe sometime during the 19th century that it's it's just like a handful of huts and cottages out in the woods, but they exist in a world, this 20-ish people that lives with magic being a part of their reality. It's not like a hidden or mysterious force. It's like a very commonplace practical thing. And one of the ways that that is established is through the creation of these creatures, which apparently are a part of Estonian mythology called Kratz, which are you can piece together random objects or tools and you can make a deal with the devil where in exchange for your own soul, the devil will animate this collection of tools into a crat, which can then move of its own accord and will carry out your wishes. It, it, but it needs a task. If you create a crat and you don't have anything for it to do, apparently it gets frustrated and kills you. And also, the devil will eventually make good on his deal for your soul and, and kill you also. If, uh, for instance, you, you make all the use of your your crat that you can. And that sounds like a pretty bizarre thing, I think, to have be such a casual presence within uh, a film. And yet that is far, far from the weirdest thing that happens in this movie. And in fact, does not crack the top 10 of strange events. Basically, uh, the, the plot of the movie is this this incredibly impoverished village has recently come under the control of, uh, or maybe not recently, but there, there's a baron who has control over the land and who himself is very wealthy and lives in this giant manor um, and has servants and has a daughter who comes uh, from, she, she was living in Germany and, and comes to live with the baron and his manor. And a, a young man from the village falls in love with her. 
But oh no, what are you going to do? A young woman from the village is in love with the young man. Ah, all their feelings for each other aren't lining up in a way that would be helpful for an easy and uh, happy relationship. I guess we're going to have to see what wacky uh, circumstances they get into to find their own fulfillment. And I'm just going to leave it at that. You can find this film on Shudder. Again, it is called November. And I will say that I do very much wholeheartedly highly recommend it but i will also say it is very much an art film like the premise of the podcast that i i also do uh that the final girl sleepover is that we get up every saturday morning and watch a horror film and recently we've been focusing on foreign films uh, but i will say that is much fantastical and even obviously evil elements as this film contains not a horror movie not a traditional horror movie it is however a 100 percent capital a capital f art film and so you should know that getting into it because again it's great but if you're not ready to like appreciate a film it might not be for you it's it's not obvious or necessarily easy to follow but it is it's wonderful and so i i, I say go for it but what I would really want to talk about, my anti-recommendation is, I learned this just the other day, and I watched it last night. And Kyle, I, I'm, I'm curious about how you will react to this, is that there is this sitcom, um, long-running, still not technically over, even though I think it's been a few years since the last season came out, in the UK called Peep Show. And it's great. I recommend that also. I don't know if we've really talked about that a lot on the podcast, which is surprising because Kyle and I talked, watched. Yeah, we have talked occasionally about how it is a it is a in every sense superior show that in a perfect world would be like as popular as the Big Bang Theory is, and we would be doing this podcast about it instead. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what turned out to not be as popular as the Big Bang Theory is the U.S unaired pilot of peep show oh god oh they did an american version oh it's terrible um and so the the, the original series is it's basically two long-term friends be, uh, become roommates one of them named mark is very buttoned down and stuffy and is like a bank administrative drone and his roommate jez is much more of the freewheeling artist party animal very much anti whatever sort of system you can put in front of him, um, but nonetheless being, you know, a big, soft, coddled, you know, person who lives within the comforts of capitalist society. So th that's, th that's the basic, and, you know, whatever crazy things happen to them. Same basic premise it's, for the... Yeah, it's two people. I mean, I don't mean that, but it's basically two seemingly normal people slowly daring each other to do the worst things imaginable over yeah. the course of several seasons. And every time you're like, well, they're not going to get worse. They're not going to do anything worse than anything we've seen them do to this point. They surprise you in delightful, delightful ways where you still can't help hate them. You still, you still kind of root for them, even as yeah. they, you know, are awful. Well, and so to, to clarify just a little bit further, as Kyle mentioned, increasingly doing terrible things, I will contrast this with another sitcom, uh, for instance, uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where those characters are sadistic sociopaths. The characters in Peep Show are selfish and insecure. 
They're not going out of their way to do awful things because it's interesting or entertaining. They're just trying to live their best lives and doing a really fucking bad job of it. Yeah. Um, and the American version, same premise, but wouldn't you know it, who plays Mark? Our boy Johnny Galecki! I was treated to Leonard in another series where he plays an uptight nerd who can't talk to women. And, oh god, Kyle, it's so bad. It's so, so awful. Oh, it's... Like, it's another thing where there aren't really jokes, and the whole gimmick, at least initially in the the UK series of Peep Show, and the reason it's called Peep Show, is that the entire series is presented first-person point of view. And so you'll see everything happening directly from Mark or Jez's eyes, and when you're seeing that perspective, you also are often treated to the narration of their internal thoughts. And so it's a very intimate experience. You know, you're you're knowing not just what the character is doing, but their internal motivations as they're doing it. And that's where you get a lot of the entertainment from. That's abandoned for the UK for the US version. Uh, it's it's they they like the the whole episode for some reason, the whole pilot is presented in shaky cam, but there's no POV element anymore. It, it goes to really, really, really standard sitcom setup. Except, How dare they? Except for like three seconds where I think you do get some internal narration from Mark, uh, the Johnny Galecki character. And it stands out because I think it's the only time it happens in the episode. And thus, I assume it had to be inserted just to clarify a scene that didn't make sense on its own. <laughs> I didn't really recognize any of the other actors in the show. I can't say that they're nobodies. But they're just, they're, they're nobody that I knew. And I'd say it's, okay, so two total recommendations. One actual recommendation, and then an anti-recommendation, and another half to counteract that anti-recommendation. You should watch the U.S. version of Peep Show just to be reminded of how ineffectual a show can be. So you can look at any other show that you may watch that's currently on TV and think, well... At least they did well enough to get their show aired. It wasn't so trash that it had to be hidden in a vault somewhere. And you have an example of what one of those vault shows would be. And then you should also treat yourself to actually just watching the UK original peep show. And I'm not going to bother explaining that beyond what uh, Kyle and I have already talked about. But it's great and you should watch it. So there. Watch November. Watch the US version of Peep Show to make yourself angry, and then watch the UK version of Peep Show to make yourself grateful again. Anything else to talk about before we wrap up? This feels nope. like a no. Yeah. We did well, it. I, I, yeah. We survived now, again, now Kyle. Watch, now I just won't watch Peep Show. Go watch Peep Show. Love it. You know what I want to do? I want to play Xenoblade Chronicles. I, st- I played that for three hours last night, and I'm starting to get into it, and I'm really excited to play more of it. Hey, tell me how that goes. I will. I will tell you, and I will probably recommend it to you with the understanding, of course, that I'm a big JRPG-loving weeb. 